There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. So I was really trying to put into kind of a brief summary exactly what I was experiencing last night. When, for the very first time, I had this sense that everything was going to really be okay. And I don't mean just like in my little world, where things, everything is really okay in my little world, but on this kind of grand scheme. Now, some of it has to do with faith. So any of you who are believers, uh, any of you who have a relationship with the, you know some power greater than yourself, whatever that looks like or feels like to you, we're supposed to be okay. You know, we're supposed to know what the end's going to be. So we don't live scared and we don't, we don't spend a lot of time worrying. Like I decided a long time ago that faith and fear cannot coexist in the same brain or heart for that matter. So I was always going to opt to eject the fear and keep hope alive. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm Barack Obama making the a speech. But, but I, that was a decision that I made. But it's a struggle. It's always a struggle trying to stay optimistic. And I'm immersed in the news 24-7. Obviously, I go to sleep and it even comes into my dreams. I'm around a lot of people who are very serious about what's going on in the world and analyzing it and talking about it. I go to events where they're, you know, there's no other way to describe them. They're political events. Even if there's not a candidate who's running for office, standing up on a podium, I go primarily to events that are devoted to the discussion of the future of America. I went to one last night. I was at Club 47 and Eric Trump was the speaker. He was there with Lara Trump. And, you know, I'm hearing all the same rumors that everybody else is hearing that, you know, they've picked a new RNC chair and Lara Trump is going to be the co-chair and there'll be a whole fuss and muss. And, you know, I listen to all that stuff. And then I look at this woman, you know, just happened to be there last night, uh, you know, standing by her man, not a hair out of place, doesn't look the least bit ruffled. Yeah, I know that she's got two kids back at home. She's got a very uh, pressured life. She's involved in her father-in-law's campaigns always. She's a great spokesperson for him. So if anybody had the right to be maybe anxious at all, I would say that uh, she does. You could not have seen that. And it led me to believe, because then I look around the room. I'm an observer primarily. I come on the air 
and I share with you my analysis of everything. But the analysis is based on my observations. I'm not one of these people who read it in a book. I read lots of books. Nor am I one of these people who's going to parrot what they heard on somebody else's uh, radio program or television program or wrote in an article. Uh, if I read an article to you, it's uh, I tell you it's somebody else's article. And I couldn't agree more or I think I'm taking umbrage with it, whatever. But when I come on and give you what I call the real Joyce Kaufman show, it's my analysis. And the only way I can ever figure out what the heck is going on in the world is by carefully observing people. You know, their habits. Are they out and about? Are they driving new cars? Or is everybody just, you know, hanging on to their old car for as long as possible? You know, how many Amazon boxes are piled up in front of doors on any given day? I mean, these are observations. And while they don't tell me the whole story, when I put them all together, it's this beautiful 7,000-piece puzzle, right? And my job is to get it as close to finished as I can before I come on the air and then tell you what the picture looks like to me. And so last night I was trying to gauge, as I said, I immediately saw that Lara Trump, whose name had come up like five times on my ride up there as a potential co-chair for the Republican National Committee, I'm still trying to figure out, is, is Ronna McDaniel in or is she out? Is, uh, you know, it's, they just love chaos and confusion. So uh, I'm thinking in terms of, that's a lot of pressure for this woman. She marries into this family, and I think on some level, it's got to be like a, a fairy tale, like a dream come true, right? The only person who married better than Lara Trump uh, is uh, Meghan Markle, right? <laughs> you know, she married a prince and Kate, you know. Other than that, if you marry a Trump, whether it's uh, the male Trumps or the female Trump, you've kind of walked into a ton of interesting people and loads of money. You know, that's, that's the bottom line. And if you're astute and you're with it and you enjoy it, you can have a fabulous life. Unless, of course, the family is Trump. And then you are going to be the target of so many slings and arrows. Your children are going to be attacked. You have to watch your husband under attack. They'll try to take away his business, everybody's money. They're really just hell-bent on destroying Donald Trump and the Trump family in its entirety. And so you also married into that. So you expect maybe some ruffled feathers. She should look a little bit kind of shook up at any given moment. Not a hair out of place. And I don't just mean that cosmetically. She was smiling, engaged. Uh, she made a very brief statement. It wasn't her night. She knows how to give him the stage. Although I think most people hear much more from her than they do from him. She's been all over the networks, particularly Fox. She is exciting to listen to. She's on the inside. She knows what's going on. And she's just serene in the middle of what has to be a never-ending tempest. And so I looked around. People, for the most part, last night looked a little, a little more jumpy than usual. And when I say that, nobody was scared, didn't look scared. They weren't racing around and hiding under chairs, not like that. But just 
people really are tired of having to argue with their friends and family and listen to report after report, which doesn't line up with their truth. And their truth, pretty simply, is the truth. You know, the truth is we have a broken southern border. And the truth is Donald Trump is the only politician who ever addressed that with, that, with more than just words. The truth is, no matter how many times Janet Yellen or anybody else tells me this is a great economy, everything is working, people are struggling. The prices have continued to go up and wages have not kept up, not even close. So I can only look at the situation anecdotally because I'm not a, you know, a woman with two small kids and yeah, I don't have those bills. But now I fall into that category of like, oh, senior citizen. A lot of people in my neighborhood living on fixed incomes. Now, I must admit, most of the people in my neighborhood have more than a social security check. Many of them, you know, worked at, at good careers and probably have 401ks or some other kind of savings. Uh, many of them still work kind of part-time and with this whole new working from home thing, a lot of seniors elected to do consulting and other things like that, or at least in my neck of the woods. If they're able, they do it. But they're on a fixed income primarily. And when they walk into Publix and a dozen eggs has gone up in price like 10 times in the last three years, it is bothersome. They are reducing their consumption, which is probably not a bad idea since we're like, like one of the fattest nations ever. But it troubles you, right? It's not something that you brush off. Every time I walk into a supermarket, now I'm mindful. I, I, I'm in a good position. I don't have to pinch pennies right now. But I don't want to be ripped off. And I don't want to think that, like, you know, I'm paying a dollar for an egg, you know. So I still have sensibilities about those things. So I've been, like the people around me last night, not exactly on edge but definitely feeling somehow that things were not going well and I really didn't have a guarantee that they were gonna improve anytime soon. I got my guarantee. And I don't know how to say this without maybe sounding nuts, would be the way some people would term it, or optimistic, glass half full kind of gal. But I really have this sense of well-being right now because there's just not much more they can do to try and keep the one guy out of the White House that I think has a fair chance of resolving many of America's issues. Just a fair chance. I don't need a savior. I have a savior. But I need somebody who's going to go into Washington, D.C. right now and turn over the tables, okay? Because this is a disaster. The border's a disaster. Our foreign aid packages, I was looking at all these numbers that they're throwing out there today. How much does Ukraine need and how much does Israel need? Now, mind you, I don't want to see Vladimir Putin win. I don't want to see Israel lose in those two separate wars. But at some point, I also start to say, and just how much money are we planning to give to support these causes, and where's it coming from? Because if I know where it's coming from, then we can p 
pull in the belt somewhere else, right? I never hear them talk about that. It's always, we got, we got to get this and we got to send this and it's never, but don't worry because we figured out where the money's going to come from and it's not going to mean higher taxes. You never hear that because it would be a lie. Not that they don't lie. They do lie. But that's a lie that'll keep you from getting reelected, all right? That lie, they don't tell. They do it, but they don't tell it. And, and regardless, I guess the bottom line is, I'm curious if there's a lot more people out there like me who somehow still have a sense of well-being. I believe in America. I believe that this republic is vastly superior to anything the world has seen, primarily because its foundation is freedom, and not the kind of freedom uh, that lets a boy say they're a girl. That's not freedom. That's nuts, okay? But the kind of freedom that says, we will give you opportunity, and you can either succeed or fail based on your skills and your determination, but we'll make the opportunity available to you. That's a winning formula, and that's what the founding fathers said. And when we can't make decisions together on a national level, which, by the way, seems like a pretty hard task, we'll make it on smaller levels. Right now, we have 50 states. Each one of them can operate in autonomy for the most part. There's some federal legislation, which we've all agreed to, maybe we haven't personally, but our representatives have. But if it doesn't work for the people in Tennessee, and it does work for the people in California, then the people in California can do their thing, and the people in Tennessee can do their thing. What a beautiful concept. Why shouldn't the people who it affects make the decisions that affect them? Doesn't seem like rocket science, right? So I, I, feel, I feel this sense of well-being. I don't believe that any party or any individual can bring down this country unless we turn away and let them. And I don't see a public willing to do that. I saw the people there last night. They're not willing to do that. I see people online all the time. They're not willing. They say resist. They say you must refuse to comply when stuff is stupid. And they say, we want leaders who have, whose only intention is to help secure our borders, you know, make sure our national security is first and foremost, and then pretty much everything else, let the states and ultimately let the individuals decide where the kids should go to school, how the schools should operate. It's better at a local level. The founding fathers knew that. And so I have a sense of well-being today. Now, it will probably evaporate or completely disappear before the end of the hour. But hey, while I got it, I thought I would share it with you. I hope you can, you know, just, you know, stand close to me and it might jump off on you. Don't forget coming out, uh, that you can download our app, the 850WFTL app. That will give you all the news. You can have a stream of any of the podcasts that you like, whether it's uh, Cool Dad Rules or the Unidentified Alien podcast or my No Restraint podcast, which did go up today, whatever. You can have it right on your phone or your laptop or just go to the website, 850wftl.com. Quick break, I'll be right back. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, 
Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. this impending sense of doom all the time, which I can suffer from, is not every headline is even approximately the story. They deliberately taunt and tantalize people from newspapers to websites to just, you know, essays and columnists. And they don't serve the public very well. I can tell you that because watching these and it it's interesting because I remember there was a time when everybody said oh you know talk radio you guys just make stuff up and of course we didn't just make stuff up but what we did was we gave a voice to things that weren't being discussed or if they were being discussed they were monitoring the discussion closely and you couldn't say certain things and there were so many rules when I started out in radio about what you could and couldn't say and you know there were I remember a program director probably in my third or fourth year down here saying to me look the third rail of talk radio is social security you can't talk about it and I said wow that's a that's a pretty big piece of the economy and it's probably really relevant to a lot of the listeners in talk radio because it skews older. It's not like 17-year-olds are dying to turn on a talk radio show, though many do. But a, a 65 or a 70-year-old, yeah, that's a format that they grew up with. That's a format that they like. <laughs> and, and it's, you know, they had all these rules. I couldn't talk about that, that people would glaze over. I wasn't allowed to talk about, you know, too much of my personal life. And then I found out, like, so how do you expect someone to connect with you? Connect enough that they will come back and listen to you. Now, granted, if they feel your opinions are well thought out or they are in agreement with a lot of your views, now they're going to listen to you, right? But you're going to have to also be entertaining and part of that dynamic I've learned over the years, and I shared this with people before, is you have to be relatable. People have to know, the reason I love local talk, and I'm really not that big a fan of national talk, I mean, I mean some of it is great, most of it is great, but you have to be extremely well-versed on every minutia that mm, I don't really have any desire to know the ins and outs of politics in uh, Montana. I really don't. I, I, I like to know who the elected representatives are and what the, you know, is it blue, is it red, is it vast, is it underpopulated, overpopulated, you know, some basic facts, but I don't, you know, I don't want to be like an, a, an expert in every state of the union. I'm down here in South Florida. It's enough trying to understand South Florida and the people who live here because we are a melting pot. Every time I turn around, I look at somebody, it's like a guessing game. Hmm, where do you think they uh, are from originally? You know, wow, that's an interesting look. I, I met somebody yesterday, I had not a clue. And after they started speaking, 
their accent was something I was completely unfamiliar with because this is a melting pot. Everybody comes here. The community in which I live, well, apparently people are sick and tired of uh, this dodo in Canada, Trudeau. And people who used to come down here for three, six weeks, something like that, uh-uh, they're buying places. They're going to spend as much time here as possible. And I get it. You know, I would too, especially if I lived in some really cold place. I get up in the morning and it's in the 50s and I'm like panic stricken. Where's my thermals? Well, good luck if I'm going to try and spend some of the year in other parts of the country. That may be a pipe dream, huh? We'll have to see. But I'm, I'm looking at, you know, some of the stories that I'm, I only care about how it affects us here in Florida. Like I've been talking a lot lately about marijuana has some very dangerous aspects to it. And nobody wants to talk about that anymore. Now it's like, who's going to make it legal for recreational use next? Okay, there's already a plethora of states where you can just go into a dispensary as long as you're 18 or 21, whatever it is, you can buy edibles and smokables and, and I don't know, sniffables. I don't know what the whole they sell in there. I did walk in one with my son and it was, I saw all these uh, cute little pastry looking things. Some things look like gummies and okay, you know, they in California, and you could tell you'd have to be high to live in California. That's all I'm going to say. There's no way you could be in your right mind all the time and make sense of what's going on in your own state. Like you have to step over human poop. That you have to have an app on your phone that tells you where the human poop is on your walk uh, to bring your kid to school. You have to be crazy. But wealthy Californians are getting out. And now there's a new place that they like going to. Uh, it's called the Beverly Hills of Arizona. And, you know, I was re I recently... I'm actually still reading it. I'm finishing a biography of Georgia O'Keeffe. And she loved the Southwest. And she describes, you know, living in New York and then going out to New Mexico or to uh, California, wherever, t Texas. She particularly liked Texas. I think she was uh, part Texan. But she talks about the beauty of, like, you know, a, a, a mountain, Paradise Valley in Arizona. You look at these things and you're starting to see all these wealthy Californians moving there. And they come for the luxurious lifestyle. They come for, now let me say this as quietly as possible because it's also one of the attractions to Florida. We don't want everybody to know lower taxes and, of course, quality of life and privacy. You don't have to be living right on top of people. Living in New York City, as exciting as it may have been, I was like living in a little box on top of another little box on top of another little box on top of another little box just to see the sky. I had to stand between two buildings and put my head all the way back so that I could see it in the little square between buildings. So you, you know, go to a place like Paradise Valley in Arizona or you go to big sky parts of Montana or the hills, the blue hills of Kentucky, which I prefer. And you see all this amazing nature. And so they're leaving San Francisco. They're leaving Los Angeles. Now, of course, not my kids, because my kids 
must be nuts is the only thing I can say. I don't think they do all the marijuana stuff, but I think they might be nuts anyway. So they're, they're gone. Why are Americans drawn to these places? Why are they drawn to Florida? Since the pandemic, we've seen a lot of movement to the states that are primarily, let's call it what it is, red. They're not purple anymore. They're red. And when people are considering where should they move and they live in San Francisco, well, they're probably going to pick something in the Southwest. If they live in the Northeast, they're going to pick Florida. They're going to swap Silicon Valley for Paradise Valley. And according to the census, county-to-county migration data, Santa Clara County, that's where Silicon Valley is, has lost more residents to Arizona than any other movement by that number of people. Per You know, of course, everything is subject to uh, proportion. From 2011 to 2015, Maricopa County, which is the most populous county of Arizona, received an average of 1,127 residents from Santa Clara County every year. That's a lot of people. Since 2016, though, it went to it went up 38 percent. So now they're getting almost 2,000 people every year. I'm telling you, you're watching these things. This is what I do. I observe. I write notes. I get journals full of notes. And then I try to figure out, well, should I be scared? If I didn't live in Florida right now, I'd move here. I would. And I think you're seeing that. We just got to hope they don't bring the crazy politics with them. All right, let me take a quick break. Stay right where you are. I got two segments left and a lot more to talk about. I'll be right back. So I'm really watching carefully in my good mood today the various people who have weighed in on the special counsel report, right? And I'm one of them. You know, it's in my No Restraint podcast. I I don't see how anybody could talk about the news and not be talking about that report. And there's a couple of different aspects to the report that everybody talks about. And then there's some stuff which apparently everybody is fearful to talk about, which is amazing to me. Because this is serious stuff. We're talking about the President of the United States, a man who has control of the world's largest and most mighty, awesome military, We're talking about an economic engine that, in my opinion, is still number one. We may be falling behind China a little bit, but looking at some of the news I've seen about what's going on in China right now, not so much. You know, we're still pretty much preeminent. That doesn't mean that there aren't very successful economies in other parts of the world. There are, but we're huge and we do things in, as Donald Trump would say, big Bigly. And so everybody's talking about that report. And a lot of donors are looking at the report and listening to all the chatter, which you had to expect, right? There's a Post story, Washington Post story, that said that all of these uh, really big time top Democratic donors are being pressed by 
the party and by other politicians, like, we need to replace Biden on the ticket. Who's it going to be? You know, who's the high-profile Democrat that we can do? And I'm listening to the same, same names that you're listening to. And I roll my eyes because, you know, these are people I wouldn't let be the, uh, you know, the cleaning girl at my uh, my church. You know, they're just, no way. But they're floating them around. We're talking uh, Gretchen, Gretchen, whatever her name is, from Michigan. Really? As a president? Gretchen Whitmer, that's her name, right? And then somebody was talking about Governor Josh Shapiro. He's the uh, Pennsylvania governor. And of course, you always hear Gavin Newsom. You always hear Michelle Obama. I mean, we've heard them all. But that's not happening. So I'm more fascinated when high-powered Democrats talk about how that first, you have to figure out how to move Joe Biden aside, because he doesn't seem willing to go, right? So the presidential candidate, the independent, RFK Jr., he was asked whether he thought, I think he was on Jesse Waters' show, I just read it, but I think that's where, yeah, yeah, he was on that show, asked whether he believes that President Biden should step aside at the end of his first term, since the uh, report says he's an elderly man with poor memory. He told Fox News that if he were in Biden's position, he would hope that someone in his own family would politely suggest that he step away from the political limelight if his mental acuity is as diminished as it says, as the report from special counsel Robert Hurst says. I think anybody can make up their mind about Biden's situation. I don't think you have to be close to it. We see it every time he gets on television. He has cognitive challenges. And if they're as profound as the special counsel indicated, somebody should approach him, RFK Jr. said, and assist him, help him to, to step down. So now, who could that be? I mean, they've really, it, his, it's not going to be by, uh, Hunter Biden, because as long as his father's still in power, he's not going to jail. So it has to be his wife, right? But she's in it. She has allowed him to unravel in front of the American public since virtually the beginning of this, of this uh, election season, the last election season, and straight through this first term. We have a president who's not on the ball. We need a president. What was it that Hillary Clinton said? Who do you trust to answer a phone call at three o'clock in the morning? Can you imagine if the phone rang in the Biden bedroom at three o'clock in the morning? I mean, when he's been awake for hours, he can barely answer a question. What if he's just kind of coming out of uh, his sleep? And the voice on the other end says, Russia has sent a missile, blah, blah, blah. Really? Joe Biden? Uh, now see, my, my, my sense of well-being just evaporated. 
and went up in a puff of smoke. I gotta, I gotta recapture it. But, but, but they wouldn't let him make that decision. The call will go to somebody else, like Barack Obama. Ah, oh! my sense of well-being has completely disappeared. So, I don't even know how they pull this off, because you can't just take somebody who doesn't want to get out of the race out of the race. You basically, they're going to have to take him out of the presidency, which leaves us with Kamala Harris temporarily. Wouldn't be for very long. But look at these names. Is this all you got? You got this, you know, these two governors? Not that I'm, I don't think governors can be great leaders. They are, they're administrators. Governor is better than congressman because they've had to literally run stuff and have people that uh, they have to oversee, do important things. So I guess Shapiro is a, is a, a contender, but Gretchen Whitmer, they asked her last year, I remember, if she wanted to challenge Joe Biden, like in a primary. And she said, oh, no, no, I'm so proud to support him. She's even a, a campaign co-chair for the Biden-Harris uh, campaign. But what can I tell you? You know, apparently they're going to let poor old Uncle Joe hang out there, which, as I've always pointed out, is good for the guy I'm supporting, but not good for the country. Definitely not good for a two-party system. So the other thing that RFK this weekend got in all kinds of uh, fuss about him was some Super Bowl ad that his Super PAC uh, put out there. And apparently they took his face and they superimposed it over a famous 1960 campaign ad of his uncle's. And he said he was very nice. He thought it was great when he saw the ad for the first time, which was the same time everybody else on CBS Sunday. He then went on to say, let me clarify the apology. Because yesterday all I heard was, RFK is apologizing for that ad. He's apologizing. I thought, well, what was he apologizing for? First and foremost, it was done by the PAC. I'm sure he had uh, you know, no say over what they were going to do. But more importantly, it's his family. It was his uncle. It was his father. Those two were assassinated. His uncle Teddy was the lion of the Senate. Like, yeah, so he used an image from JFK's campaign? Whose feelings got hurt over that? Well, apparently that's what he said. He said that um, his cousin, Bobby Shriver, who's the son of Eunice Kennedy Shriver, blasted the ad saying his mother would be appalled by RFK Jr.'s deadly health care views after noting that Eunice's likeness also appeared. So on X, he said he was sorry if the ad caused them pain and that federal regulations do not allow consultation between candidates and their PACs. I send you and your family my sincerest apologies. God bless you. Uh, but he, listen, don't apologize for the ad. That's your family. And they've certainly play, paid with blood to lead this country. Not once, but twice. Anyway, people are so super sensitive, right? You gotta be so careful. Then again, I'm not that careful. Oh, my sense of comfort and ease just disappeared. Oh, 
sad about that, but maybe I can recapture it. Anyway, don't forget, coming up after me, Eric Erickson, followed by Joe Paggs and Lars Larson, the overnight guys. And then at 6 a.m., Jen and Bill will be back with the South Florida Morning Show. At 9 p.m., 9 p.m., 9 a.m., Brian Kilmeade returns. At noon, Dan Bongino, and then at 3 o'clock, I come back. But I still have one segment left today, so please stay right where you are. Well, this will destroy any sense of peace that anybody uh, in the audience might have. And in particular, people like me who suffer with a variety of, uh, what do you, well, I don't know, you can call them behavioral traits, right? Um, but this one is wreaking havoc already. The, uh, the drug Adderall, which is prescribed primarily for attention deficit, whether it's ADD, like whether it's for children or adults. Now, I happen to suffer from ADHD. You know, I wasn't diagnosed until very late in life. And so since I had managed without medication for all those years, although some could say, is manage the right word since I'm basically a lunatic quite often? But anyway, so I said, I'm never going to take medication. What? Why should I? I've been doing this in the midst of a career. I raised a family. So obviously it is possible. I don't, and obviously I don't need the medication. But a lot of people, um, when they're diagnosed, are put on these medications. And a lot of people are very helped by this medication. I have a family member. I'm not going to say who it is, but they do so much better as a result of this medication, Adderall, because they were impulsive and, and restless and, and couldn't focus and super smart. And when that medication was introduced in their, I guess, in her teens, um, the effects were immediate, like her whole life came together. And the idea that now I keep hearing these stories about the medication being very hard to come by. Doesn't matter if you have a prescription or not. If they don't have the drug at the pharmacy, you're not getting it. Because neurons have to be working in conjunction with one another. I mean, I'm going to make it as simple as I can. But when they're not, people who are actually extremely bright cannot complete a simple task, cannot focus long enough. So Adderall, which makes no sense pharmacologically to me, but I'm not a pharmacologist. My friend Pat is, and she'll explain it to me later. But what ends up happening is that they are able to focus and then they are able to perform at their highest level. So that's a good thing, right? But in October of 2022, when the FDA announced that there was a shortage of Adderall, people were looking for alternatives. And there didn't appear to be anything that was working. And now ADHD is one of the most common neurodevelopmental disorders in the country. I mean, they think there's like 10% of children between the ages of 3 and 17, uh, or about 6 million adolescents, that have been diagnosed with ADHD. And the medications like Adderall um, 
increased dopamine levels in the brain and allow these kids to sit in a classroom and actually learn. Some of them are extraordinarily bright and, and talented and they can, uh, you know, they, they begin to have hobbies that are, you know, just wonderful. For a parent, it's like heaven. I, you know, I was in early childhood before I started doing this and I would see the difference in a child who was properly medicated. That doesn't mean everybody should be given these drugs because obviously people like me can learn how to cope and, and it actually works in my best interest. The fact that I can be doing nine different things at one time has actually been very helpful in my career. But you see that this medication has w worked wonders. And I believe it forestalls addiction because when young people feel the way they do or the way I did, many of them will self-medicate. They don't know what's wrong. But they find out if they smoke some weed, they, they're able to concentrate better. Or if they take this pill or that pill, that they're able to uh, sit through an entire class in school. And so they begin to use substances that are not monitor or healthy for them. So I'm not against medication. I just think it needs to be used sparingly and in the right instances um, with people backing up diagnosis. It's not a, just because the teacher is tired of the kid jumping out of his seat. That is not. Uh, sufficient to give a kid Adderall. But here's the problem. There's a shortage again. So all of these people who now have been taking Adderall have nowhere to turn. You know, the, the alternative prescription medications are very hard to come by, you know, because you're talking about like methamphetamine and things like that. So this is a horrible, perfect storm in a country where everybody's on edge. Until today, even I'm on edge. Stimulant medication is a controlled substance. So you can only get 30 days at a time. And pharmacies can't tell you where the drugs are available. You have to like figure it out on your own. So I'm just predicting we're going to have another crisis on our hands with all these ADHD adolescents and teenagers who don't can't get their medication. I thank you for your time this time until next time. And my plan is to be back here tomorrow at 3 p.m. if it be his will and he delays his coming. Remember that what lies behind us and what lies ahead of us, those are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. So wherever you are, just be yourself. Everybody else is taken. And then as always, may God bless you. May God bless Israel. And may God bless the United States of America. It'll be fun to come back tomorrow. I got an interesting guest lined up, so you better be here. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.